0: Could you please pronounce your name correctly for me?
1: Oh, Lucia. Uh, Just okay, Fox.
0: All right. And you all are based where?
1: Based in New York City.
0: And I found you all because you all run your podcast. So tell us a little bit about your podcast.
2: All right, ready? Okay. So our podcast. It came together from a series of discussions that OK and I were having about the way that basically like our interests in leftist politics had to do with how we operate in creative fields and where it kind of is like oil and water and where it comes together. And um, we both have sort of different spheres of operation in the art world so it was really interesting to have these discussions about how our experiences align and how we kind of inform each other so it came about talking because we were talking
1: <laughs> yeah but lucia started like a marxist feminist reading group out of a dsa chapter and i joined it because i i i've been trying to push push myself to read more theory stuff I didn't really I felt like my art school education didn't really equip me for I don't know like a good philosophy background and I was doing a lot of like sort of anarchist style like free school stuff so was Lucia but in, in slightly different art spaces
2: yeah I had the same feeling of just that our education had no way of equipping us for what we actually had to learn or use theory for
0: you do know i'm a professor
2: (laughs) yeah well then this is this is for you you're one of the
1: good ones (laughs) i mean it's not like i didn't Uh, i I definitely had good professors it's just you know I, i i wanted more than what i got i think
0: don't get me wrong, I am completely disillusioned with the general <laughs> academic industry that is the arts uh, academia. <laughs> they I feel that they do not uh, you know fu- they don't fulfill the needs of equipping young artists properly to be prepared for the real world.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Whatever that means, whether it's bus- business practices or philosophical practices. I mean, they teach skills and crafts. That and they do that beautifully generally. I'm not I'm not speaking for all schools, but but they just don't prepare the younger generation for the real world. They don't teach you business, they don't teach you management, they don't teach the you, you in your case, you had some philosophical issues that weren't taught to you. So like they're just they're still stuck in an old model and the world is changing and they're not keeping up.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that, I don't know, it just reminds me of the experience of the art education I had at School of Visual Arts in New York, which was a lot of people saying, if you know how to do anything else, you should leave this place and do that thing. That was actually pretty useful information because I was like, oh, this entire place, oh, the whole system. Bad system.
0: It's kind of true. I mean, it's it's hard. be well, specifically in America, because you all are in America, <laughs> yes. American drag arts industry is.
2: <laughs> yes, we love <laughs> it. Don't get me wrong.
0: I, I, I went to the Corcoran School of Art in Washington D.C. I went to the oh, San nice. Francisco Art Institute. So, like, I know the American system. But I've also now lived in the worked in the Middle East, and I'm now in Europe. And it's very different. Uh, first of all, it's free right. for, for right. your education. So you don't have to That's worry about big student one. loans. <laughs> and second of all, it's a huge <laughs> one because I'm still paying off my student loans to this day. <laughs> well, but the, the other part is, is that it, it's, but it's different. It's very different in Europe because it's st- in Europe in particular, because it's still very much m- uh, mentor-apprentice relationships and like y- your judged off of how good or what level or what qualities your mentor had. And so like when an artist goes to a gallery, they will say, who was your mentor? And that will decide whether they represent them or not.
2: Oh yeah. Which that's is not
0: true in America.
2: It is it is kind of still true here, I've noticed just from my experiences with working with galleries, my track record of who I studied with and who I also I specifically work for, who I've assisted plays a role in how I'm, uh, how I'm introduced into the market. You know, it's hard for me because I haven't gone to grad school, so I have a I I've got a hit there. I, you know it's like you you always have this tally of okay. like okay, who did you work for? Where did you go to school? But my work record is great. So it's sort of weird, like tallying those beans all the time.
0: Well, let's take a little quick step back, actually. We'll go through sort of one by one. So, okay, you answer this That's one first. What's you, how did you even come to being a creative person? Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in sort of how artists and creative workers even grow into it. So was it a family? Was it a, a teacher? Like, how did you come to being creative?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I grew up in a New York upstate town, like, and there's a lot of weirdo hippies that, like, you know, fled the city to have families. And uh, I feel like that plays a role in, like, the creative funding that your school has. And that definitely helps nudge people in a certain direction. I I don't know. I I was just, like, a, a total weirdo in high school and just didn't know what else to to do with my life. And just really, I, I honestly, I wanted to get into politics or I wanted to get into art. And now and I'm in, in both. both. And yeah, and it's, it's, it just, it felt like there was no other option for someone like me who is like, just like, I was just like, I'll just starve. My, my parents were like, you'll, you'll, it's a terrible idea. We can't afford to send you anywhere and i so i went to public college and it was great and at first i was very resentful cuz i was trying to get into all the uh fancy institutions and couldn't afford any of them and then i i just became a full-time freak and it's great i mean it's it's nerve-wracking but you figure it out <laughs>
0: All right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sitting here acting like I'm all high and, <laughs> and mighty, but just to be clear, I'm an ex drug addict. I used to be a roadie that toured around with rock and roll bands. Like I have all kinds of crazy shit in my past. I just look <laughs> uh, look different now because of my age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm still a little freaky on the inside. I just keep it more on the yeah, inside. Yeah, I mean, I'm
1: I'm doing I'm doing fine. I'm not trying to say i um, You know, I'm just I, I feel like it's a very it's almost a very privileged position to be able to even go to art school. And I, I was trying to reconcile with that for a long time. I'm, I'm happy I did. I just, I want to expand that everybody should be able to pursue a creative stuff and be creative, you know?
0: All right. Lucia, what's your background? How did you come to be creative?
1: I guess
2: I, I grew up in a, like a, a low supervision household. So, that, uh...
0: that's a very polite way of putting it. That's good. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so, I I kind of no one ever really told me like like how to live. It it was it was sort of it was like oh, the kid is like here and is like drawing. That's good. All right. Well, on to our stuff now. And, um
0: did they actually refer to you as the kid by the way
2: <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> actually like for a long time when I was growing up my my this is so dumb my dad told me not to call him dad because he didn't want anyone to think that he had kids so yeah I mean it was like I when I say like low supervision, Yeah, and I would like, I would be like, left at school a lot. And like, you know, so I would stay at other people's houses and things. And like, you know, and then but for me, like, drawing really came out of that time of just having to tell myself a story about like, what was going on. I think that like, that kind of was the kernel if I had to isolate one as to why I'm now continuing to use images to try to decipher the cognitive dissonance of living in a world where people should be able to reach solidarity or agreement or communication or like any of these things that we are advocating for with art and labor. And still, like, you know, I find that my political life, I can have these conversations, but in my artistic life, I still need to make images to make sense of, like, where those disconnects are. And uh, from there, it was just a straight shot, because I just started working really early on how to make images, and people kind of supported me along the way with really directing me of, like, oh, you should go here you should apply for this like you know people telling me to get grants people telling me to like you know study certain programs like i tried to go to more commercial programs and i was literally placed into a fine arts program because they were like no you have to like we don't want you in the commercial arts like just go crazy studio (laughs) and then i mean yeah they were like get out of the office your your anxiety is like bumming out all the neoliberals
0: i just met you and and i could believe that a school like that would do that yes
1: your advisors were right
0: absolutely graphic designers would, would freak out yeah they would freak out if you were in the office yeah yeah (laughs) okay and and so now okay so these days so now you both you both have graduated from school but and and you're in new york which in and of itself is i believe both a an amazing positive but also a a a soul-sucking negative because i find new york to be amazing and i like my general belief is that every creative person so i don't care if they're singer dancer actor uh, you know, visual artists, whatever should move to like New York or LA and try it once in their life, but not stay there because there's like, I believe there's like a time limit that those places are beneficial and then they become detrimental.
1: I think to a certain type of person that could be true. I happen to disagree as like, you know, I, I as like, you know, cause I, I grew up in near New York, like coming, I like my, I got family in in the city. I, you know, just yeah. I was born in New York. It's it it it, it hits. I don't even know how to live. <laughs> yeah, it, it it hits different.
0: You probably don't have a driver's nope. license either. I do I you? I
2: don't. <laughs> I was I, I was a truck driver. Yeah, Lucia is a, tru- a,
1: a truck driver. I just I failed my test twice, but
2: <laughs> oh, I didn't <laughs> know you tried. I did try at one point. All the secrets are coming out today. I, thought I told you that. <laughs> no i just knew that you couldn't drive (laughs) i love interviews we like learn about each other
0: i feel like a bit of a therapist right now it's lovely
2: yeah thank you thank you so much for facilitating this
0: Okay. So what is it that you have to do in New York these days to sort of make it? Because I'm in Prague and I have to do four part-time jobs to make ends meet and you know build my career and all this kind of stuff. New York, I would imagine, is exponentially more expensive, exponentially more pressure, and exponentially faster than here. So like, what kind of stuff do you have to do to just make a living? I already heard truck driver. What else? <laughs>
1: You, you definitely juggle a lot, of, a lot of gigs. There's not a lot of steady jobs anymore. I think one, one thing I've found is to organize around rent and try to keep rent really low. That, that That's something that more people should do. And that's like another point I wanted to make about like, people cycling through New York City is like part of the reason why it's it's so hard to live here is because people cycle through the city so much. And so, I would I would encourage if like if people want to embed in 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 their neighborhoods and really treasure it that that's like an, something that they should be pursuing, especially in this time of crisis. Sorry, I'm I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> no,
2: no, I mean that's that's like I mean we're both now working in tenants' unions, and OK has been super plugged into the Ridgewood Tenants Union. And in my neighborhood we're just sort of we're in a little bit of a different position, just like kind of starting to do more recruitment in the Sunset Park Union. So I'm
0: I'm sorry, I w what I whats a tenants union?
1: Loosely it's like housing advocacy. Yeah. They're just a, a group that's working towards um, anti evictions and rent regulations and basically um, stuff like yeah. that.
2: From what we've noticed from like building this one and going through like sculpting it, right now we've decided like one of the things we want our tenants union to be able to do is like collectively author like correspondence to our landlords as the union. So that's just like one thing we decided to do, but we also have decided that we want to do prison abolition work because we have a prison in our neighborhood. Rocks.
1: I I'll also say that on our show on art and labor, we studied Germany a lot. Like Lucia went to Germany, hung uh, out. We, we've talked hung about out it a with lot. the squatters <laughs> and the anarchist librarians.
0: That's a thing? That seems like a contradictory in term, like an anarchist librarian.
2: No, no. It's just a place where you collect all of your Bakunin books. Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) Okay. I I was thinking, because to me, a librarian is like a super organized, meticulous person, and an anarchist librarian seems to be contradictory in terms.
2: Yeah, their filing system isn't up to par.
0: Okay, fair enough. But
2: it's also because the... (laughs) It's also because at the time that I was visiting, the police actually did a raid where they busted down the door and they tore through the library and they took all of the computer equipment (laughs) and stuff because they just wanted all of the hard drives and they wanted to just smash everything because the uh, library was a hub for organizing against Google coming into the neighborhood. Right
1: and that and that's why i i bring up germany and berlin in particular berlin everyone knows is like an artist haven and um, and it's another one of those places where it's like go try living there as an artist it's great and part of the reason why it's so great is because people organize around rent and rent is very very low and so if if we are modeling our organizing in new york after germany which we did successfully with amazon we can build power that way and make it easier for people to uh live here. Yeah.
0: Well, I've been to Berlin and I've spoken with artists and galleries and curators in Berlin and it's in it's an interesting dynamic because as a practicing artist, support for the artist is spectacular. Yeah. They have amazing studios, they help with rent, they even help with supplies, they'll help they even help with visas for foreigners. I mean, they're very helpful and supportive. However, it's also generally acknowledged that Berlin is not a great place to sell artwork. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's someplace, it's sort of like the emerging arts sector where you wanna go to like Dusseldorf if you wanna sell.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's great to live there and to be practicing there, but you cannot really, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are people, but it's generally not known that you can make a living as an artist there however you could support yourself through the grants and all the support and everything like that And
1: that's, that's what most people want right i don't know no that's i mean that's one thing <laughs> that people Open want but artists given
2: the chance i think people just want the world you know they don't i i think yeah. that like if you really are interested in the art world there is an aspect of wanting to actually like participate in the hot spots and there there's like there's like being a part of an artistic community and there's having that sort of like ability to share and you know be of some use in whatever way that you define for yourself which i'm like super into and very much like find my satisfaction in like genuine connection but i'm in that interfacing- camp yeah, like interfacing with a lot of people that I know. And and there are moments in myself where I'm like, yeah, no, I want to take this thing to the top, baby. Like, I don't just want oh, to like live God, off a rocks. little grant or like, you know, I don't want to just be like, <laughs> oh, thank you government for my little like my little nom noms. I'm gonna keep making my doodles now. No, I want to address the world and I want to go to an international community. And I, you know what I mean? Like, and I'll, that's kind of a a part of it.
0: Okay, I got a question that sort of keeps along that line. Individually, I'd like to hear your individual responses to this. What would be a definition of being a successful artist to each of you?
1: Well, yeah, I, mean, I think, I think Lucia just laid out pretty well, like, I'm in that first camp, that camp that's like, if, if our communities can be supported, if, if we're, we're safe, there, are you know, if we're not getting pushed out of our neighborhoods, if we're able to build and 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 experience and participate in each other's art. And I definitely like doing that in in other countries, too. I'm I'm kind of I'm more in the like zine and prints world. And that does let you travel for these like conventions and meet a lot of people and experience a lot of places. And it's a to me that's like to be able to maintain that life is really beautiful and and I've experienced that before and it's been really lovely. It feels like that's slipping away um, in the new COVID world, but it was a beautiful life for quite a while. And I was, I'm, I you know I'm, I feel pretty satisfied by that as an artist.
2: I, I guess like if I w- would consider myself to be a successful artist, it would be like, if I felt that I had challenged the bourgeois conception of value like I would feel like if I actually addressed the way that value is constructed in in any in any sort of way if I if I possibly could make it to a point where I spoke to people who do not share my views and tried to get to a place where they could see what I see as being beautiful then I would feel successful which is maybe like more of a classic like or modernist view of of success because it's like I I have to go and to my own like personal detriment at times participate in these spheres of like you know complete like a (laughs) snake pit and just be like, no, but can't you see this world as ugly? If we need change,
0: okay, it's a bit extreme, but I'm gonna let you go with it. It's it's, it's your. A,
2: it's a yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ex- it's it's entirely extreme. But I I've never been less extreme. It just is like a constant. As a, like as a kid, I used to just like have conniption fits at my mom like i need to do something for art wow. it's a big thing i used to say a lot i have to do something for art like it's a thing you can you're, help
1: you're a big nerd somehow wow
2: yeah i'm a huge <laughs> i mean hey i know <laughs> a <super big> nerd. <laughs> totally totally in it for like an like an idealist or something
0: your podcast is generally aimed towards you know helping uh, workers in the cultural uh, industry and stuff. So like what are some of the like prominent things that you feel are, for lack of a better word, broken, that need assistance?
2: Well, okay, definitely addressed one of the most major components of our uh, shared struggle, which is housing. And if we did enough to make some regulation in that sector, it would dr- drastically change the way that we do everything from go to work to make art, you know, you know like what we would eat would be different if we had better housing, What we, how we would sleep would be different. Like, But as far as like the issues with the specific art world, I think, one of the biggest ones is like the way that everything is cloistered and the way that we have, like, especially we're seeing this in the pandemic response, but it's like, you know, looking at all of these different organizations, putting out these grants and they're very like specifically identity based. And they're based on like, again, on your track record, who did you work for? Who, who do you show with? And that like is what makes you able to get support whereas instead like we could be seeing a world that's like hey you're alive and you need help so we're going to help you and it doesn't matter if you think you're an artist or a gallerist or a curator or if you think you're a garbage man like everything is like
1: means tested under a microscope but then also like another thing that we've both experienced is like weird under the table jobs and then also like jobs that are on a freelance contract that shouldn't be that I was rampant in the art industry. I'm saying was because the art industry is basically gone at this point in New York City. I mean, I no, mean, it you know, I mean, it's, 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 not, no, it's, it's not. not, no, it's not. It's, it's of course, it's still going. It's still going. going. I, it's I'm still just, going. you know, I'm being hyperbolic because so many people have been either furloughed or just completely laid off in a lot of areas because of COVID. Uh, That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'm just being I'm being flippant and glib as I want to be.
2: Well, I think that it's it's really important, actually, to start talking about this in a greater detail, because what we're seeing now is like the the mask is slipping off of the industry and we're seeing that it is going to continue. And that's like it, but it's just that we're not gonna have all access of the people who are organizing.
1: It. Yeah, and we didn't a lot of before, the museums. A
0: lot of the museums less where their
1: workers were starting to organize, they're using this pandemic as a way to push them out. We see that happening.
0: Oh, I didn't know about that.
1: Well, this is our. This is what we
2: believe, but they will never admit to having so many board members that are capable of paying the staff throughout the entire pandemic like out of pocket and not doing it and instead firing huge percentages of workers and like getting rid of education departments in their museums and like you know just doing everything they can to make sure that they can start fresh uh, with a brand new ununionized workforce after.
1: Right. They're doing this. their own form of neoliberal austerity instead of tapping into their huge endowments, let's say.
0: You just did say. Yeah, that works. So I'm interested in this whole granting thing that you brought up because I'm an artist, but I'm also in the Czech Republic. I'm an American, but I don't live in America. And so. I looked at a few of these, like, you know, support grants that are being offered by whatever foundations don't even care, and I I fit for none of them, because I don't live in the United States, even though I'm an American, and I'm living in the Czech Republic, so I'm not Czech, so I'm not eligible for any support here either, really. So there are a lot of people, I'm sure, in a similar, I mean, not literally a similar sort of expat lifestyle, but people who are slipping through the cracks because these grants have been set up with criteria of like we only we we're happy to help you but only if you meet these certain criteria and i believe that this has been an issue ongoing with the whole granting system as a general whole and it simply is now continuing on and becoming a bit more obvious at this point
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was something that I started, I started following this beat, I guess, when the United States Artist Assembly had their grant awards ceremony. And then it was sort of this like fluky thing where they reached out to us and OK was going to Japan at the time. And then I was just like, well, I love... Finding out more about how the art world works, and I really want to go and cover this, because they were asking for journalists to write about the award ceremony. And you know, at the time, I'm interviewing everybody there, talking to artists who got this unrestricted grant from. So it the whole thing is you you just get money, totally unrestricted, and they were saying in all of these great hall sort of you know spectacle meetings like look at look at artists so-and-so they use their money for health care isn't that cool and look at that other artist they use their money for groceries isn't that neat all they had to do was be nominated By a panel of judges who then anonymously hand their name to another panel of judges and then they're anonymously told that they are nominated and then they have to again apply for it and then they have to make their way to chicago to this great assembly to accept the award and it's like such a hassle just to get this unrestricted money
1: (laughs) and it's so obvious who that leaves out that leaves out you know, people with other responsibilities, whether it's it's family, whether it's extremely high rent, so you have four jobs and you can't take off to, to travel to Chicago. I don't know. Like, there's like all this. Sh- I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's means-tested to shit. And like...
2: So the thing is, you can get the money and you don't have to go like literally to Chicago to get it, but they do ask you to participate in the culture of award ceremony, which is bizarre. And then what happens is like the people who get it they end up you know some of them are related to other people who have gotten it previously some are like you know they they're definitely people who have had like museum shows there are people who are like have architecture firms but then there are some people who were nominated that ended up getting it that were like whoa i don't even do that work anymore It was so hard for me to come up with a presentation, but like somehow I just made it here and I don't even know how. And then in the midst of that, there are some people who are like community organizers. So the percentage of people who actually are receiving these grants could be like really easily kind of pulled through that experience because it's artists from all 50 states and because their reach of the whole network that they use is one of the largest ever constructed and they've done something with their granting process that used to be technically illegal which is interesting so they're sort of saying like here we are in the private sector we are able to decide what we think is valuable artistic production and we also are doing this in direct response to the way that the nea functions
1: i also wanted to add that like we reference on the show a lot the um the marxist critique of charity and that's like something that's on the docket for us to like you know do an episode about during covid stuff because you see it with with like the covid response to all of these like individual actors um this isn't directly related to what is talking about but like all these like individual actors that are like lauded and praised for doing these granting structures, but there's, you know, what we need are universal programs that's just going to cover everybody so they don't slip through the cracks, like you're saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've am i never been a good grant writer or applicant or whatever. Like, I've never, I mean, I've gotten a few of them in my lifetime, but I find the whole system, even before all of this uh, this stuff went on, that the system was a bit flawed in many ways like for example like my b- b- pet peeve is always the vocabulary and the vernacular is that like if you don't know the right vocabulary to write your grant, you're not going to get it like and every region and every city and every, whether it's a private funder or a government funder, they have, they each have their own unique vernacular that they want the grants written in. And, and we are just supposed to know how to do that without any assistance, without any training, without any guidance. We're just miraculously supposed to know what the right vocabulary is to use for whatever it is we're applying for.
2: Yeah, I I applied for so many grants of uh, through this like pandemic relief, and I haven't heard anything back yet. No, it's so it's so it's so troubling when you're like, hi, I is it enough just to be in danger of losing my house? Yeah, and the Trump
1: bucks are like just hitting some people now, and it's very weird how that's rolling out. So we really have no av no like avenue of relief that's like working in a functional and a sufficient way right now it's just a recipe for disaster i don't know if you've seen the flow charts the flow charts of like how how to apply for unemployment as like a a freelancer or as somebody with gig gig work and shit. it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare
0: i have not personally seen these flow charts but i would imagine they are if they're government related in any way that they, they i assume they're ridiculous and they're probably and new york is one of more the more good like
1: states a- <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, New York as a general whole is very, very supportive because they know that the culture, you know, whether it's theater or the museums and all the the galleries and all this, like it is what a lot of people go to New York for. Whether it be as a practitioner like yourselves, or whether it's as a, a, a supporter or a patron or whatever to come and participate in it in some way. So I mean, they know they have to support them somehow, but it's hard because like we're at a point where we're turning to the government to support the arts uh, i'm going to use america as an example just because you're in america but the, traditionally the american government is not generally very supportive of the arts i mean there are i i believe that like my assessment of it is like there's small there are small regional local grants and then there are like nea grants and basically if you're anything in the middle you're they don't support you at all so like it's either you're a blue chip artist you know you're getting government you know federally funded nea grants or you're a local uh rank hobbyist rank amateur that, that's getting like a 500 grant from some local you know nonprofit. but it's it's all those people in the middle that really need the help the most and they're not able to get it devoid of our, our COVID issue. Like in America, they just don't support that middle, that artistic middle class.
1: The, the gray, the gray zone, right?
2: Yeah. I think it, it's pretty interesting to look at our, you know, evolving concept of use, use in art, like how art can benefit a national identity or like what exactly is the point of maintaining an artistic community if you are a career politician who is like you know probably more interested in you know working out yeah trump's for example
1: called the the kennedy granting the kennedy center extraneous nonsense so it's like that's where we're at with um national art right now
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, like, the history of how people treat the NEA and, like, in general, artists. Like, it was sort of an idea that JFK had to create a world of culture around the identity of being American, and he really laid out a lot of our programming for a soft power push, and he was sort of the one that wanted to architect this concept of, like, how you could make it more attractive to live in this country because we're a place of free expression and enterprise. And like Nixon, the one who is credited with expanding the program, talked relentlessly about how garbage modernist art was while also supporting it, and under the Trump administration, we've also seen a huge expansion of the NEA, which is similar to Nixon, you know, so it's just like this cyclical thing. That's like, all right, blah, 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 you love art, you hate art. The fact is, absolutely nobody knows where to put it. And nobody knows what to do with it. Because it's an act of expressive, expressive freedom. And there's nothing really to do with it, you know, except for like, treat it as communication.
0: You just said so many things I totally <laughs> forgot what my next question was because I had a question like five minutes ago. Sorry. Wife, it's okay. No, you are just hitting to go to a lot of topics. And I'm like.
2: I, oh, sorry. I'm like being intense again.
0: No, it's okay. It's perfectly fine. I mean, I used to work at the Kennedy Center. So like I know it, it actually is a bit <laughs> of a wasteful place because the, the workers there are unionized. And I remember working there and I got paid a re- <laughs> ridiculously huge amount of money to work there doing like i worked at the 930 club in washington dc which is just like a little concert venue and i was paid like ten dollars an hour to work there and i did the exact same job at the kennedy center through the union and i was earning 150 dollars an hour to do the same job
1: damn
0: a little wasteful (laughs) but yes beneficial to my bank account
1: I think there's somewhere Chicken in the middle where, you that, can get um, there, where wages should be at right now because they've been stagnant for decades.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I know what the question was. Okay. What about the idea? I saw an article recently about sort the, of the concept that because of the fact that basically there's going to be this huge economic recession, because of the fact that there's a large amount of people throughout the world existing off of sort of these gig economy kind of lifestyles, of bringing back some sort of like a WPA program.
2: That's a really incredible idea that we absolutely should implement as a country. But what we're probably going to end up seeing is something that is more akin to like The way that the rest of that era was functioning you know instead of having public works programs where people are supported we're going to see a lot more like rockefeller styling where we're going to see people who can afford to have their style implemented into large public works programs are just going to pay to have like the city redeveloped and then we're going to see a lot of other people who can't afford to live struggle
1: it's true we had our chance with i i used to fantasize about being a government worker under a sanders oh presidency. yeah i mean
2: we were both huge sanders supporters
1: <laughs> but as it is
2: we don't have the political infrastructure to implement a public works program but it would be amazing
1: it, it might still happen in certain places but it's i don't know I we lost our yeah. chance on a national level i think
0: well, we did lose our chance yeah, because exactly. we have Trump currently as our president, but the elections are coming up and maybe that could be a a, an issue, a thing that the Democratic Party could pick up and say, uh, we will put in something along that line.
2: I mean, that would be incredible if Biden, if a Biden presidency produced that or whatever...
0: Well, it could be the senators that push it through. I mean, uh, you know, these kinds of policies are not always made by the president. As much as we've lived for the past three years with a president that pushes things through, the president is not always the the guiding light for change. Sometimes it can be senators and congresspeople. So it can start locally.
1: It's It's certainly in the in the realm of possibility but I am not holding out hope for the democrats to do the right thing because they have done yeah, the wrong thing. I mean they did have a
2: kind time. of they did have a kind of good hazard pay legislation that is in the works that was saying that everyone who is an essential worker should be gaining 13 more dollars an hour on every hour that they're working instead of the general two or three that people were Getting paid by their employers, which is a step in the right direction in at least compensating people who are currently putting their lives on the line just to keep our daily necessities in order. But, like, it's so bare but bones. But that doesn't help It's artists. so bare bones. Well, right. it does because a lot of us are just working in grocery stores and stuff, you know?
0: Right. But I would rather see money be spent supporting artists producing art than art than supporting artists other jobs that helps them make their art
2: same yeah
0: this podcast is a lot about the business of the arts the industry of the arts i want to try and keep it focused a bit more on sort of like our lifestyle i know you all love politics i generally try to stay away from politics (laughs) because i i grew up in washington dc so literally international politics was like my childhood that's what i dealt with and just as a little side note also don't bring religion in either i generally try and stay away from religion also my father's a priest so i try to stay away from that you got it from all angles Oh, I have lived a, a very rich, full life. Yes. Would you
2: say that that's how you ended up getting into art, just by having all other traumas exposed to you?
0: No, not at all. My, my father's actually a painter as oh. well. He he actually paints um, uh, 13th and 14th century Russian Byzantine icons. Oh,
2: amazing. Does he do with like Six. the gold leaf in the backgrounds and...
0: Yeah, yeah, and he was actually taught by the conservator from um, the, the Moscow Museum, I forget what, but a Russian actually taught him how to do it. A, conservator, a person who conserves Russian Byzantine icons mm-hmm. actually taught him all the techniques, and now he teaches uh, other people <laughs> how to do that. it as well. And then my mother's an interior <laughs> decorator, so I sort of come from a very creative household.
2: Cool. Yeah, that's like Jeff Coons' uh, parents are inter- interior decorators.
0: I do not know. My, my I, did I mention my dad was a minister? My, like we did not have money, like a Jeff Coons kind no, of family. No, no, no,
2: no. But I think it's interesting though, because um, also Francis Bacon worked in interior design too. Like it's like the interior design art connection pops up in very key
0: places. Oh yeah, they, they I'm not going to say they overlap, but they do influence each other for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's really something to think about, you know, in terms of like, I guess how we create spectacle and how we're able to actually like change the way that people perceive things by organizing environments.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Quick question that I want to know about you all individually is, so let's take it as a pre-COVID time period. Were you all each exhibiting and selling your works? If so, how were you doing it? And where were you doing it? And was it working for you? Slash, were you doing it like brick and mortar? And or were you doing it online? Because I'm fascinated by the whole online social media selling of artworks. So, okay, you go first.
1: Like I mentioned before, I I, I do like zines. I have like a a little printmaking zone in my house. I make my own small multiples, and I do zine and comic fairs.
0: What kind of me what a kind of little printing press do you have?
1: Oh, it's it's a big, large I have a large format digital printer, and then I have like a a weird th- like third party ink digital printer that I've gotten. To be like kind of as cheap as a risograph which a lot of my friends use risograph but my shitty printer with third-party inks is just as cheap so i do a lot of like f- kind of photography style collage and just weird stuff like that it's not my main source of income at all I'm, i mostly do other jobs i was working at a vintage store and before that i worked for art form magazine just as a like a uh, receptionist and a uh, packer just like packing their issues for them just stuff like that and it was working fine for me for the most part and, and I enjoyed visiting my my friends in other cities to do these festivals and yeah I like small multiples communities yeah i'm a i'm a mostly
2: an oil painter so I've had the kind of ups and downs of gallery representation where a few years ago I was represented by a space in Chelsea and um, had a great run. Like couldn't have imagined just with, like how the material aspects of my life changed during that time. And then one meeting, they were like, yeah, I don't know. We're just going in a different direction. Want to show more abstract art. You do figurative stuff. We just don't know about, like, talking to our clients about this. And, you know, see ya. So then I, I just sort of, like, you know, got really into being an assistant again, just working on other people's art a bunch and sort of like picking up different assistant stuff there. And then I started working with a new dealer and it's been incredible because now we're working together and trying to find a way to like merge our, our talents or capabilities and how to navigate this current field because the art world is still operating and we're doing things now like you know talking a lot about how you know the Dallas Art Fair for example is opening and it is going online and what does that online audience look like for fairgoers and people who are like accustomed to taking their yacht to a place and parking it and then filling it with art. And like, is, is it all gonna keep afloat? We're not sure, but we're like in the beta testing stage now of like what the new art world's gonna look like. And for as much as people roll their eyes at it or something, we are still all in this industry and we're trying to figure out how it's gonna look. And like, I mean, online, you know, I sell drawings on my Instagram you do yeah yeah I,
0: I rarely hear of anybody who like says yes I sell through Instagram
2: I mean I don't do it as like a store or anything but I've had times where I'm like hey guys like I'm you know I'll make a commission or like this thing is for sale and it's not meant to like be a saturated experience or something but it's sort of like do whatever works
0: Well, I'm interested in what you're doing with that, both of you individually and together, because you're more, I believe, from what I'm seeing of you, I believe you all are of the generation that is much better at social media than, well, let's say somebody of my generation. So like, how do you use the web and social media to help you, to benefit you, to build your network, to do whatever it is you need to do to get by?
1: Our podcast has a Patreon, which is decent and grows a little bit i mean we're not the best marketers uh at all but it's it makes a modest amount of money that we can rely on a month
0: that's it that's all you do i
1: you know i think that like if i if i had to like
2: quantify my strategy for online experience it's just like
0: if you have a strategy i want to hear it i'm all about trying to find like formulas and strategies give it to me
2: yeah the strategy is kind of like your online audience is gonna be your the people who care about you like the people that are on my instagram if i if i look back from i mean years like when i when i was on the and facebook and stuff you know it's like the same people that i'm still in contact with are they're my friends and when i share art it's i share it to people who have been like oh my god i remember when you did something in 2012 and i'm like well thanks dude because i don't even remember what i did but i'm a part of a hive mind that will be like oh this is what your art is doing and this is where you're going and of course we want to you know if you're selling a drawing we would we would get one cuz we like you
1: yeah that's been my
0: experience too it's not my experience
1: it's like it's like your friends not mine <laughs> but that's i mean that's un- that's also under- that's also understandable because i think that's not everybody's experience online and i think some people are able to reach other audiences but there's something about our generation right now. I think our generation is taking on a certain class character where we're, we're all sort of in similar boats doing like weird gig work. Or some of us are lucky enough to have some salaried gig. And like I've, I've noticed that whenever my friends are like, hey, I just lost my job here. Uh, buy yeah. some of my art. People are like, yeah, of course. It's great. I'll buy one. Yeah.
0: Nobody does that for me. It's fine, but it's okay. You all are good at it.
2: You just, you just have to like, um, you know, be in danger of losing your house all the time.
0: Um, yeah, I'm not okay <laughs> with that. No, I won't do
2: that. Yeah, that's the trade-in. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. our
1: generation is in a bad it, way. It
0: seems like I keep hearing about like the. I don't know exactly how old you all are, and I don't need to know. But it seems like the younger generation is often. Um, sort of on the precipice of disaster in in many ways and they and that you all as a as a generation have to be sort of uh, you almost have to at least in the creative industries be in the gig economy like it feels like the like for my generation and especially in like even in academia it used to be 10 year was what everybody was going for and now that's all going away and it's all going part time and then not only is it going part time it's going online part time so it's you know it's getting worse and worse and worse And so like, I feel like in the creative industries, it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse for you all in all these things, because all these jobs that potentially could have been there for you, these museum jobs that you discussed earlier and things like this, even those opportunities are not as available to you as they once were.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're really kind of facing something that we, we knew in a way I think was always coming because I like. You know there were always these kind of think pieces coming out while we were growing up like why are the kids so obsessed with the apocalypse like what's what's with all of this disaster narrative like why don't you guys just imagine something that's nicer or more palatable or like think about utopia
1: if millennials stopped buying avocado toast then maybe they could own a home
2: (laughs) It's like, no, we, you know, we have all of this because we know what time it is. Our systems were destroyed by the time that we were born and we were never given the opportunity to dream of having a life that was sold to our parents or, you know, so it's like, and it completely fundamentally changes your relationship to the world and to each other. And I think being abused a lot by, uh, by these kind of like media slanders and saying like, the, yeah, like the millennials killed all these industries, the millennials did everything. It's like, well, of course we're going to stick with each other if everyone thinks we're murderers.
1: Yeah, we're being fucking gaslit.
0: Okay.
2: I mean, not that you're, not that you're, I mean, we're not, you're <laughs> one of us. You're an honorary millennial.
0: Um, I'm not, sh- not uh, saying the media. I'm is not sure that's a good or a bad thing. I'm not sure any of that's good or bad. I'm just going to roll with that. It's fine.
1: i <laughs> just saying, you're, you're cool.
2: Thank you for hearing this out.
0: I have not been called cool in decades, so that's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, the big thing for me is, is like, I feel like this kind of like catastrophic things that happen in the world often galvanize and and actually will in the end. Now, I mean, right now, of course, we're still sort of in the worst of all this while we're recording this. But I, I feel like over the course of this, these catastrophic events that happen worldwide. Actually, sort of, are the impetus to more creativity because, like, industries that were doing really, really well before this are suddenly going to have to go, wait a minute, we have to come up with some creative new way to whatever, sell our product, but you know, get our service, whatever. And the people they're going to turn to are people like us.
1: I'm pessimistic on that front. I think they are going to turn to Silicon Valley style technocrat bullshit. That they keep doubling down on. I, I'd love to be optimistic about it, but that's the pessimistic take. Uh, if someone wants to sell like a different one, it's going to be the
2: Rocco's Modern Life movie, where where they where they where they <laughs> talk to the geckos to make the show.
0: I do not know this movie.
1: Yes, dude, watch yeah, it on everyone, Netflix.
2: Everyone it's should good. watch the Rocco's Modern Life movie because it's about. It's about <laughs> capitalism and it's about our current condition.
0: Okay, yeah, I try to be optimistic because well, quite honestly, what's the benefit of being a pessimist? Like it, it I don't for me, it doesn't serve me well, you know so like, it, you know.
1: I get that, I get that, but to be a pessimist and also be a Marxist is to know how to prepare and how to counteract what's what potentially might happen. It's not, and I'm not trying to say that I want it to happen.
0: Don't get me wrong. I mean, if I were to actually, if somebody were to ask me to define myself, I would say I'm a pessimistic optimist. So I'm preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best equally.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think, okay, that's like a really great way to to put the way that our, our kind of experience has gone with trying to, trying to get ready with everything that we know and everything we see. It's sort of impossible to avoid the political reality that we're in because we're in a pressure cooker that is like, we're just sort of waiting to see if it's going to become like, you know, illegal to be a leftist. So we're sort of like, hey, hey dude, can't ignore it. Things have gotten here things have gotten to this place now
0: yeah admittedly i haven't been in the united states for any lengthy period of time in over 8 years so i don't really know what's going on there
2: yeah it's getting it's getting full on like you know the it's we're just trying to figure out which rapist is going to like manage the concentration camps yeah and we're kind of looking at like all of the things that led up to fascist germany like labor leaders are being targeted you know our our public services are being stripped our national treasury is just like melting away and private interest is taking over
1: the liberals are selling out the social democrats mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah just, this place is getting torn to pieces it's insane <laughs>
0: Well, you can do what I did. You just leave.
2: Yeah. Well, we we <laughs> talked about that too as part of our. our we did we talk were about like, that. Which country should we go to? Which 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 country do you think we should go to? Norway. Yeah. True. true. <laughs> they won't let us in. Will they let us in? Yeah, give us three. Give us three.
0: Uh, it would, uh, Scandinavia across the board, uh, anywhere up in Scandinavia, Norway, Finland, Sweden, they are amazing supporters of the arts. Like they give so much money to to the arts. Um, they give, like, I talked to somebody from, I think, Finland, and she was complaining to me that the government only gave her a free studio and they only bought her art supplies <laughs> for one year.
2: Wow, that's... That sounds
0: so and i was just creepy. like oh i'm so sad for you that you only have a you know 100 square foot studio and you only have enough art supplies for one year paid for by the government that's so sad
1: <laughs> we were we were talking to a friend in south korea where it's like <laughs> similar yeah
0: I mean, I, I, they're amazing. Scandinavia, I think, is amazing with it. They're all, I've heard Brazil is actually very supportive in certain parts of the arts. Um, there are lots of places that actually are very good with supporting of the arts. Um, but the question is just, you know, do you like the culture, the lifestyle of the place? Right. Because, like, I was in the Middle East. They're super supportive of the arts. They just built a Louvre in Abu Dhabi but I'm not okay with living under Sharia law, so.
1: I, I also don't want to abandon people here. I want. I want to try to organize. I want to. I want to help people who can't leave, who aren't able to leave. I want to help and, yeah. and mitigate the the deaths. Yeah.
0: yeah i don't even want to deal with the talking about the whole death
1: (laughs) we're
0: we're keeping with the arts we're not we're not we're not healthcare workers and all that so like let's let's stay away from that topic.
1: it's 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 a tough it's a tough one i mean right now it's just very present on my mind because you know we're in the epicenter of this thing so it's hard for yeah.
0: I get it. My father just got sick the other day and was in the hospital and I was like, "Dad, get out of the hospital. That's where Aww. you get sick." Yeah. So, no,
2: everyone I everyone know. is is having a really difficult time with their relationship to how much absolute trauma is being absorbed by every single person on the planet right now. And we should do some due diligence to describing that experience. But also, I keep thinking about like, okay, so when I was a kid, I was really into Camus.
0: I love your kid stories. Yeah,
2: (laughs) which
1: a great kid. (laughs)
2: Dude, I I think my kid years were my best years, honestly. I was like, wow, how did I get cool <laughs> as a feral child? But Camus, oh, yeah. Camus, like, plague was something that I would visit regularly. And it just really strikes me that, you know, there was this passage where, uh, oh, gosh, well, now I can, it's been a while, I should probably reread it. But there was, like, the one character that was, like, working on the novel and kept rewriting these introductory sentences to the novel over and over again and every time you saw the character they focused on like a new beautiful way to illustrate this opening of this of this like perfect scene that he was creating and it was sort of like you know people were dying everywhere but the city had been walled off and there was nothing to do but wait and and part of having a creative impulse in that city where you can't go anywhere, and there's nothing to be done except wait to see if you live or not. It's like some people will just occupy themselves with beauty in a way that ends up becoming really poignant. Of course, there's it's Sisyphusian also, but it's also like, I don't know, It's it's like a very romantic thing to do when you're powerless, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, that sort of begs the question that I am constantly having, you know, every day in quarantine, it's, do you put your efforts into, I don't know, like, uh, for lack of a better way of explaining it, like, like, getting another job or selling more work and all this? Or do you sit back and say, okay, this is time I can't be doing anything else, I should be focusing on myself and my art and sort of maybe be more creative and sort of be prepared for when we come out of this that you're, you know, you're sort of in a better space you know, artistically, creatively, personally, or do you want to be trying to sort of focus on making money, getting into the job, paying rent, these kinds of things? Like, so like trying to focus your energy in the right place during this time.
1: Or not paying rent. Yeah. And organizing your building is as an, as a, 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 an option that I would encourage people explore. That's all I'm saying. Seriously, if people want to DM us about starting tenant associations and getting clued into their local organizing efforts, mutual aid efforts, stuff like that during this time. I'm speaking mostly to people in, in COVID affected areas because that just feels really pressing right
2: now. Also speaking to people in America and probably in a place where we know what the housing laws are. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: New York. there
1: there are a lot of international efforts. I know Hannah Black, uh, follow her. She was organizing some international efforts. I'm not saying that we know everything, but uh, they're out there. In
2: response to your question of what people could be doing during this lockdown, I would say like, you know, Tenant organizing is super important, but also if you have the material and you have the creativity and the gumption, figuring out how to supply people with things that they need moving forward yes. is going to become increasingly important. And we do have the ability to pick up skills and to actually like perform well in terms of making products. So, I mean... If you can make a mask, make a mask. If you can make some protective gear, make it. If you know how to make a ventilator, if you have a 3D printer, you know, don't worry about your painting practice right now because honestly, we need to stay alive long enough to get back to the point where we can enjoy art again. And one of the ways yeah. we can do that is by, you know, letting go of some of ourselves and some of what we thought our work was supposed to be about. And then actually like rising to the occasion of supporting our communities in whatever way we can, whether that means organizing or whether that means using your skills. Cause I know I'm not always the best at like, you know, showing up regularly to all my tenants' meetings and like keeping everybody's ducks in a line because that's not the way my brain works. And that's probably not the way a lot of artists' brain works, so. yeah. Don't kick yeah. yourself if you're not an organizer. You don't have to be.
1: Mutual aid networks are, are are already using a lot of really great artists like in that way. And you can get clued in to those efforts very easily.
0: Oh, I, uh, one of my previous guests was telling me how an artist, a friend of his, is taking scrap art materials and actually putting them together as little kits to give to parents who have children who are staying home and having to be homeschooled to give them some a- ability great. to oh, teach yeah. art to their kids while they're at home.
2: That's wonderful. I actually I, that's um, I, I did something similar recently. A friend of mine in Hawaii teaches grade schoolers and she asked me to make a video about composition for grade schoolers that don't have materials at home to make art, but that so that they could start getting into drawing and like learning some of the rules of how you make traditional, you know, you know, learn the rules so that you can break them later, kind of thing. And it so we've just been like making YouTube videos and sending them to kids in Hawaii to
0: teach love them that. art.